Well, greetings. This is John Van Bladel from the Building Peace Initiative at youwantapieceofmeonline.com. If you should hear a little bit of snuffling about here, it's the cat. Um, for some reason, whenever I try to do something like this, they seem to sense it, and they come... Uh, despite a fair-sized apartment, they end up in the five-square-foot area around here, so no telling what they could knock off the desk. So, our podcast today is Removing Blocks to Empathy. And once again, I'll be inviting the bell of mindfulness occasionally to slow me down a bit and let what I have said have time to be considered. And when you hear the bell, just take three normal breaths in and out, all the way in and all the way out. And then we will continue. Now, I'm feeling a little bit pressed today because it was and is a busy day with a very busy week coming up. Um, and it's Tuesday, but there's still a lot to do. So I'm going to be really conscious of slowing down a bit today. So um, I'm going to encourage you again to try some of the mindfulness sites or some of the meditation sites I've posted on the Building Peace Initiative website. Um, they're really helpful. And I'm feeling pretty good about them today as I try and slow myself down a bit. So back to empathy, where does it come from? Well, I had a lot of empathy growing up uh, for some reason, uh, but it was tempered by enforced gender roles for young males created by my family and society. Uh, my home, school, and neighborhood cruelty was accepted and at times encouraged, and a denial of emotions and or your emotional or physical pain was the norm. It was just something that you had to tough out. Toughen up, grow up, those types of helpful hints were given me. Now I can remember uh, that awkward age of about four or so when I would be running, um, chasing my friends, or just running for no particular reason. I'd fall and scrape my knees on the rough pavement. And when I came into the house tearfully and encountered mom, she would tend to my bleeding knees, but always seemed irritated with me. I imagine she was uncomfortable with a tearful son, um, and the emotional quality of that interaction, the care I received, was really lacking. Uh, there wasn't that real sense of nurturance that some would feel. Dad, on the other hand, he was a lot more direct. Um, you'd <laughs> come in with cut-up knees, and you'd get something like, when I was your age, I was bailing hay with your grandfather, and the bailing machine cut off his foot. Well... We put it back on with baling twine and duct tape, finished baling hay well into the night, and then we went and got it fixed. Now that, of course, is an exaggeration, uh, but you've likely heard variations of it. When we, on the way to school, it was uphill both ways. Um, there were wild dogs. We had to throw our lunch to them. Otherwise, they'd eat us, and then we went hungry. Uh, but the message is clear. Ignore and deny physical or emotional pain. Now, I used to be one of those ER guys that will get into emergency rooms. You only show up when you're puking up green stuff or have a fever of 104. But <laughs> as one of the movies that you may know uh, said, I feel much better now. I know I've gotten better. Um, the problem is when you have pain, it's going to go somewhere. Uh, denying or repressing it is not 100% effective. <laughs> so you're either going to get ill or make others suffer, if not by direct action, then not being available to hear them. And when I say ill, I mean mentally and physically. They're intertwined, of course. 
Um, so we could see this suffering uh, in our neighborhood coming out in the numerous bullies that we encountered regularly who sought to communicate their suffering by causing us pain. You know, why is it that bullies usually travel in threes? In one scenario, straight out of a Christmas story, I encountered a kid named Guy and his two toadies, that's a judgmental term, but it's from a Christmas story, um, who proceeded to torment me um, on the sixth grade playground by the monkey bars. Now, for some reason, that was his place to bully people, uh, perhaps because he had an audience of kids hanging from the monkey bars. Now, I don't remember the taunts exactly, uh, but they were all along the lines of, you're a sissy, girly, what are you going to do, cry baby? And I remember just feeling terrible, being tearful, looking down at my shoe tops in shame, and just wanting to disappear, just wanting to get out of there. And one of the times, as I turned to walk away, Guy threw a punch at me and caught me right on the ear. Now, have you ever got hit on the ear when it's chilly out? Like, like the top end or the lower end of it sometimes? It's just hard to describe the pain, but it really hurt. Now, all I remember is hesitating, and this is sort of an out-of-body experience, and stopping dead in my tracks as the rage filled me while I was hearing the laughter and taunts of he and his two friends... And almost in disbelief, I watched myself step forward, saw his look of recognition of my rage and the disbelief and fear in his eyes as I stepped forward and delivered a punch that landed squarely on his nose and knocked him to the ground. So he got up, holding his bloodied nose, crying, and ran to the nurse's office. You know, but the funny thing is, I did not feel good about it. I had a moment of release and assertion sort of the use of protective force, but I felt badly that I had injured him. The good news is, I didn't get bullied anymore. The not-so-good news is, if this timid kid, me, could bloody guy's nose, then anyone could, and his status changed from bully to bullied. And many sought to return the favor, so his time throughout the rest of sixth grade um, was pretty terrible. And as I've said, I felt bad for him. I cannot tell you how many times growing up I tried to avoid fights, walked away, felt there was something wrong with me, that I was weak or a coward, when in reality I just didn't want to harm anybody. In fact, when I did get into fights, I would literally beg the other person to stop attacking me so they would not get hurt. You know, picture me sort of on top of the person being able to pound them, and as you were a kid you could put your knees on their uh, biceps and it would really hurt. Um, but I just couldn't do it. I would walk away, and then they would get up, and we'd fight some more. But, you know, that compassionate piece of me started to change over time as I adapted to the norms of the world in which I lived. Uh, empathy became a liability. The word nonviolence was non-existent. By the way, if you heard a noise go by, it wasn't the cats. That was the plow. We've getting our, we're getting our first snow of the year up here in the ER. Or the Northeast, not the ER. I'm ahead of myself. I told you I was ahead of myself today. Um, let's see. Oh, denial of emotions uh, and or emotional or physical pain has basically led to generations of unnecessary suffering. And people who don't 
practice reasonable self-care. And like I used to be one of the emergency room men who only show up when they're wheeled into the emergency room on a gurney, I can tell you about at least three of those events that happened with my father that put him close to death where self-care would have prevented uh, a real bad illness. But we can also end up emotionally being wheeled in on a gurney, seemingly helpless to receive or offer empathy. Now, our attachment with empathy becomes uncomfortable. It just does not feel normal. Now, throughout our lives, from childhood and on, many of us are labeled as too sensitive, something that I heard frequently. And this is, again, how empathy comes to be looked upon as a liability and even a disability. But that's backwards. Empathy is strength. We would not have survived as a species without it. We would not have had the civil rights movement without it. Empathy takes courage. It's the courage to sit with another's pain, the courage to be vulnerable with them, and that includes coming into contact with our own pain instead of avoiding it. The insight to realize that the only reason we change the topic, ignore, or shame people that we want to have a handle on it is that it puts us into contact with our own vulnerability. We also have to contend with the social norms that have taught us to deny our suffering and the suffering of others. That people who reach out when suffering are weak, and to some, that makes them exploitable. Now, empathy is not a passive act. It is a practice of actively listening to another person with your entire being. And that means your heart, your mind, and your spirit. It's being fully present with another person. It's a process of healing oneself and others. And as Marshall Rosenberg would say, it's giving from the heart. So we have to take a look at some of the factors that inhibit empathy. Uh, Gender roles, as I mentioned, societal norms. And the one that we've really not gotten into is um, once we've been exploited due to our empathy or gaslighted, sometimes it harms us to the point where we just close off that empathy. And we'll spend some time on that special circumstance in future podcasts. Um, Some will see kindness and compassion as weakness or naivete, and they'll seek to meet their needs by taking advantage of you. And I can think of one House Hunters International show I watched uh, where there was some haggling over the price of a house and the potential buyer, when it was suggested that compromise would be a good thing, said, that's not acceptable. When you reach a compromise, nobody's happy. Now, that dualistic view of what's going on is pretty striking. Um, I'm not sure what an empathic response to that one would be. Maybe something like, so, getting all you want, would, getting all that you want would make you happy, and getting nothing would actually be referable to getting something. Um, returning to Rosenberg, uh, if he, he has a chapter in his book, Nonviolent Communication, A Language of Life on Communication that Blocks Compassion. Um, take a look at it. Moralistic judgments, making comparisons, denial of responsibility, uh, they are all addressed. And, and for this week, one of the things that I suggest that you do is just spend some time being aware That when you judge people, especially when you label them, we stop listening. And we certainly do a lot of labeling um, during the day rather than actually taking the time to understand what someone's going through. Now, make sure you apply self-compassion. 
when you're doing this is you're likely to judge yourself for judging others. Um, when I took a year-long course in compassion from the Nonviolent Communication Institute, it was an online one, Ah, oh, geez, the first two weeks looking at the judgments were just pretty bad because it gets normalized. You don't really see how much you're doing it until you pay attention to it. And then you think, oh, God, I'm terrible. I can't do this. That's not helpful. Um, what you're really doing is taking the moment to be aware of your thinking, recognize it without judgment, relax a bit, and maybe consider some other alternatives. Um, just remember, we live in a very judgmental society, so how would you be anything but judgmental? Um, and again, have some empathy for yourself. So that's it for today. We're going to continue to talk about empathy, uh, in particular some of the blocks to offering and receiving empathy next time, uh, because there are quite a few more blocks. Um, it was funny, I was telling someone I was doing podcasts, and I said I... Yeah, I've done a 15-minute one on empathy. I'm going to do another one. said, 15 minutes on empathy? Why would you do that? Um, like 15 minutes was too long. And I just thought, wow, this is where we're at. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a lifelong practice. You're not going to get it from a 15-minute uh, podcast. So in the meantime, as you're practicing self-compassion, try some meta-meditations and begin to experiment with feeling, offering, and receiving empathy. And feel free to go to the website and let me know how it works out. And until next time, let's give ourselves and some others some peace of mind.